Can you remember the last time you overreacted? And some of you are saying, you mean today? Can you remember? Can you remember the last time you overreacted? Probably. You know, it's not what happens, it's what happens next that matters sometimes. You know, it's not what happens, but what happens next. There's a little story that has haunted me for a long time about how I respond to people. And it's a story about a guy who's in a boat. It's one of these little boats, and, and uh, it's on this little river. It's the kind of boat where, you know, the restaurant's around, and you're just supposed to take this little rowboat out as a, a novelty, as part of your evening out. And uh, there's a channel that goes into a, a bigger channel, and a lot of boats around, and some of them are floating free. And the guy is beginning to row his boat out into the main channel, and uh, somebody comes along and is coming back to return the boat and bumps into him, and and, the, and the, the guy who's trying to get out turns around and just yells at him, says, what do you think? Look where you're, look where you're going. What's the matter with you? And there's just such a, um, uh, the guy who had bumped into him, there's just such a, a sense of embarrassment. He, he turns red. He could tell by his whole body language that he, uh, he, he was embarrassed and humiliated by the way that he was treated. And... Um, the man's anger remained with him, and as he began to, to continue to row out into the channel, uh, he bumped into another boat, and he turns around and starts to yell at the next person and realizes it's, it's an empty boat floating free. And his anger begins to cool. And he looks, and he says, oh, it's just a, a free, floating free boat. And then he realizes, I treated nobody better than somebody. I had all this anger for the person, but for the boat that was empty, I was peaceful. And there was a great sense of conviction. You know, sometimes, you know, we, we, we treat strangers better than we do the people closest to us. Sometimes we treat inanimate objects better than the person who has inconvenienced you. We are living in a reactive age. And so whether it's your Uncle Bob who's forwarding that really obnoxious email that he thinks is the greatest thing and like solves all of the world's problems, right? Or whether it's you're on the ball field and somebody has insulted you or given you a, a little elbow. It's not what happens, it's what happens next. But we're in a reactive age. Reactive age. It's, it's kind of a level of reactivity that is heightened more than anything I've ever seen in my lifetime. People are so quick on the trigger, so quick to make assumptions about you because of the way you look or what you say or what you represent. We have so little patience to hear what the person meant. We just hear what we want to hear and we just hit back. We are living in a reactive age. And, and given that fact, whether you're thinking now about the last time you overreacted or or whether you're thinking about the fact that, that that represents something that you should have been dealing with all along, right? And you let it build up and then suddenly it just sort of, you get triggered and it comes out. Or whether you're thinking about the way that, that the, the news media is working or you're thinking about the, the inequities and the way that we're trying to deal with those. First Presbyterian Church, your family, your business, the next conversation you're in, is an opportunity for you to create a different kind of environment. An environment not of reactivity, but of being proactive, of welcome. 
The question this morning is, how do we say, you are welcome? Paul understood how to create an environment of welcome. And the verses that I'm about to read from 1 Thessalonians, uh, there is a a verse in here that has used to be, you know, and, and is in some way sort of running in the background for me all the time in terms of what it means to create an environment of ministry where people can grow, an environment of welcome. From the Word of God, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting with verse 7. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, We were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. Because, why? Because you had become so very dear to us. For you remember our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses. And God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And so we thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the Word of God, which is at work in you, believers. For you became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea, for you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. Let's pray together. God, would you uh, guide us today? Would you uh, help us not only to understand this word in our heads, but to receive it into our hearts that we may live it through our hands. In Jesus' name, amen. How do you say you're welcome? I've said before, I, I, I have a little pet peeve, and that is when, when someone does something, you say thank you, and they say no problem. It kind of introduces the idea that it might have been a problem. But in your case, it's not a problem. How do you say you're welcome? How do you create an environment of welcome? Well, we make our welcome, and then our welcome makes us. That's the sermon. We make our welcome, and then our welcome makes us. Let's take a look at that. First, we make our welcome. That is, we're we're not to be passive people. We're not to be timid people. We're to move towards people proactively, taking initiative, we're to be people who are called out. That's what the church means. That's what, ecclesi- uh, that's what, that's what uh, ecclesiastical means. It, to, ecclesia is the word for church. It means called out ones. It means we're called out of ourselves, that, that there's something that God has put into us, faith, hope, and love, and we're called out to be proactive. And so we make our welcome by being initiators. Last week, we had this GLS, this Global Leadership Summit, and I saw a beautiful example of somebody who knew how to create an environment of welcome. His name's Danny Myers, and he, he runs these, 
incredibly beautiful sounding uh, restaurants in New York City. And, and one of the things that he has, has spent a, a lifetime developing is an environment. And so he tells this story, uh, he told the story last week of this, uh, this smaller gathering that was way, it, it, but it was way too big for the setting. And so his, the, the, the uh, servers were walking around and, you know, they were keeping their elbows tucked in and, and uh, there was a spill and he could see that, that it was uh, uh, olive oil that was tipped over and it was pouring down the back of somebody's beautiful suede jacket. It was just pouring down the back of their suede jacket. And it's one of those things where you kind of want to look the other way and just like, oh, I know that, that didn't happen and maybe she'll never notice. But he realized and he confessed as, um, as, as he saw the other person next to her react and, and say oh, that he needed to do something. And so, and so he tells the story about how he got on the phone immediately and, and found the person, he figured out who made that jacket and, and he, he, he got a jacket delivered to this person by the end of the night, so that when they got home, there was a brand new jacket waiting for her. Exactly the same maker, the same size, it was waiting for her when she got home from that event. And not only that, gave, gave her a gift certificate. And he said, he actually said at the end of this story, he said, you know, when it was all done, he said, that, that spill cost me three times as much of the money that I made on the dinner as a restaurateur. And I started to think to myself, this guy's not in the restaurant business. He's in the hospitality business. He's in the welcome business. He's not a restaurateur. He had long ceased being somebody who had restaurants, and he had embraced the idea that the restaurant was an, an opportunity to create a certain kind of environment to grow people and to express hospitality, to express welcome. It was his particular platform to do something beautiful in the world. That's why Paul says in, the, in verse 8, he says, which has been a, a theme, we, we loved you so much. This is the way I memorize. We loved you so much that we endeavored to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Because why? Because you had become so dear to us. In your home, in your car, on your next cell phone conversation, in the text that you sent, that, that you're going to send when somebody insults you. Are you a texter? Are you a driver? Are you a homemaker? Or are you somebody creating an environment where people can grow? Is your world a platform to express outwardly what has been put into you? You see, I, don't, I, I think probably at some point Danny Meyer was, uh, was uh, somebody who recognized that creating a certain kind of environment was good for business. But then at some point, there was a switch that took place in his life. And he said, you know what? Business is good for creating an environment where people can be welcomed, affirmed, where something beautiful can happen. You know, we talk about, uh, I talk to, the, to, to our uh, officers here about what it means to be an usher and I contrast it between like, oh, you're here to hand out bulletins and, and to help people find a seat and to pass offering plates and do all kinds of things like that. It, no, we, we boil things down too often to their task. Even in our homes, we do this. 
But instead, imagine if somebody called you up and said, would you like to be a part of a team that creates an environment for seekers and believers that they may experience the very presence of God? And you go, yeah, let me, what is that? Well, it's an usher ministry. <laughs> Just got baited and switched. No, that's, that's the opportunity that you have to do something beautiful with what time you've been given. You say, well, Tim, I'm always initiating with people. I feel, and you know what? That's one of those things that everybody says. I'm always the one who's picking up the phone and asking somebody to lunch. I'm always the one who's trying to get somebody together. I'm always the one inviting people over. Why don't people ask me? Everybody feels that way. All right, let me say that again. Everybody feels that way, all right? It's not just you. And so if we all just sort of tuck into our little cloistered places and we all feel that way and we're waiting on the other person to act, then we're not acting in accordance with what Paul is imitating here. He's moving towards people in a particular way as an initiator, not to be in charge of everything, but to serve. Everybody feels that way. I have this permission to share this by this person, but I'm not going to share his initials. I'm not going to share his, uh, his name. I'm just going to give you his initials, uh, Philip Lebel. But... <laughs> Philip says that he's trying to have lunch with everybody at, at First Presbyterian Church. Good luck, Philip. It's going to be tough because we plan to have more and more people coming to our fellowship. And the more that we, we act this way, the more that we're initiators, the more that people are just going to say, I want to be a part of that. Same is true with your home. You want to be the home where people gathered? Initiate with people. Create an environment. You want to be the business where people want to hang out? Create an environment. See it as your platform to do something beautiful. So we make the welcome. Now, here's the harder part. Now, the welcome then makes us. Once we create that environment, that environment begins to create us. So we need to set the bar. We need to set the bar in a way that is worthy of us who are called to follow in the steps of the rabbi, of Jesus. We need to set the bar. Somebody's going to set that bar, okay? What I mean by set the bar, set, set the standard, you know, like the high jump or the pole vault. How high are we going to go? What's our standard? What is the standard of human dignity? What is the way that this environment helps to express the dignity and worth of human life? life-on-life life relationships, here's our setting, here's an opportunity. It may be your business, it may be your home, it may be the, the, the next time somebody's riding in your car. What kind of environment there you create creates you. We make our welcome, and then our welcome makes us. So somebody needs to set the standard. Somebody needs to do it. Somebody needs to have the authority to do it. Somebody needs to have the power to do it. You see what I'm getting at? Somebody's going to do it. It's not as if we can all just sort of uh, pretend that the universe will be fair. It won't. So leadership needs to serve. It needs to set a tone a high tone where our energy, our gifts, our power, our money, our time, everything 
goes in an outward direction of serving other people. Because when we create that kind of environment, that environment starts to create us. I think of the last several times I've gone to, I've gone to Haiti a number of times on short-term mission trips. And, and I, beautiful people down there who are struggling, some of whom are just working very, very hard, but they can't get traction because it's such a broken economy. And I remember the last time I was there, there was an election that was coming up, and there were 60, 6-0 people running for office. Why? Because it was the lottery. You see what I'm getting at? So becoming president of this, this country, this broken country, why would you want that? Why would you want to take that mess on? Well, you're not. What you're taking on is the ability in a corrupt system to feather your own nest. That's what's happening. That's the realism. That's what's going on. Somebody is going to have power. Somebody is going to have position. Somebody's going to... And so we need to make sure that that somebody, whether it's in your home, whether it's in your business, here, whether it's somebody running your small group or your Sunday school class, that they're, they're using their power, their influence, their position to serve. Watch out for the person who wants power too much. Watch out for the person who wants to be in charge too much. Watch out for the person who just wants to... I mean, it could be the, it, it could be the toll booth operator, right? Well, I'm the person in charge of your quarters, right? You're like, you are not, you know, none shall pass. It's like that scene in Monty Python. None shall pass. You know, it's the toll booth operator. It's like, man, this person has a lot of power over my life for the next three seconds, right? Watch out for the person who just needs, needs to have position, needs to have power, but doesn't know what to do with it. You see, what, what, what Paul is describing here is an affront to our modern ears. What he's describing here is, in the Greek, there's, I, I talked about three different kinds of love uh, last week. I talked about you know, sort of the foundation of, of love. It's committed love and friendship love, intimacy, right? Knowing and being known. Eros, erotic love or passionate love. We talked about passion last week. If you, if you weren't here, I'm sorry, you missed it. But, so those are three different kinds of love. There's a fourth, and it's called storge. And it's affectionate love. It's the kind of love that a parent has for a child. It's the kind of love that a sibling has for a sibling. It's this very platonic, beautifully pure love that's just, that, that just wants to care for the other person. It takes energy and goes in the direction. It takes affection and it goes in the other direction. It takes, it takes that love, that storge love, moves towards somebody else to serve. Here's what I'm concerned about. I, I'm, I'm building up to say something really hard to say and really difficult to hear. In our time, we have been dividing and dividing and dividing according to race, gender, class, socioeconomic background. And we're striving for this thing called equity or equality. And I have to say, I'm, my ears are wide open to people who are in minority positions, people who have struggled or they've, they've, they've have a background that has been very difficult, much more difficult than mine has been. We all have struggles. Everybody does. Life is just difficult. And we often think that we're the only one, but, but there are certain systemic things that, that hurt some people more than others. And so I'm listening to that. And I think we all need to listen to that. We all need to understand how, uh, how men and women can work together in a way that's equitable and healthy. We all need to understand that, that people who come here 
um, and uh, come to this country with a, a, a great sense of hope out of a sense of urgency, sometimes come here illegally. And we need to understand, we need to, we need to wrestle with what we do with that. We, we, we don't just have to react to it and just say, well, that's illegal or whatever it is. Or we all need to understand that, that sometimes people look at history and they say, there were some difficult things that happened in history and we need to we need to take stock in that, and other people just want to say, no, don't look backwards, just look forward. No, we need to look at these difficult things, but let's not lose something. In the midst of all this, the Christian is called to be a, a very strange person. We're called to have this conversation in a totally different way. We're called to be peculiar people, people who know, know what it means to to. Love one another in a storge kind of way. So Paul says this. Let's read it again. And this, this, this totally is an affront to our modern ears. He says, I loved you the way a nursing mother loves her baby. I loved you the way an affectionate father loves his children. You say, gosh, that sounds like paternalism or that sounds like maternalism. Well, here's what I'm getting at. What if somebody were, what if somebody were elected to the, become the president of Haiti, and they had privilege, right? Now they have privilege. But they used it to serve. You see, that's what we're being called to do here, to create an environment where whatever privilege we have, whatever power we have, whatever influence we have, whatever position we have, moves in the direction of servant leadership. Let's not throw out that baby with the bathwater. Let's have that kind of conversation as Christians and as a church, not just to jump in to the fray of reactivity. Oh, you had it worse than we did. We had it worse than you did. Let's listen to those things, but don't miss what Paul is saying here. Every, every part of your life where you have some influence or power, you have an opportunity to create an environment of welcome. You have the opportunity for a certain kind of love. You have an opportunity to take your strength and to move towards somebody to give and not to get. If we just let the conversation be re reduced to hit and hit back, if we just jump into the fray and just say, you know, you're pulling too hard from the left or you're pulling too hard from the right and so I'm going to counterbalance you, then we look just like the rest of the world. Let's have a conversation. Let's talk about what it looks like to take our privilege, whatever it is, whether it's living in America or whether it's the fact that you've, you've had some healthy generations in your past or whether it's a, a position that you have because you've built a business, whatever it is, we are interdependent and we have to have a kind of conversation as Christians that invite people up to a standard that is going to make us, if it's, just, if it's just eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, Martin Luther King Jr. said, we will be a blind and toothless generation. A different kind of conversation. And so what does it look like? Practically. Because this environment does meet us. Another thing I saw last week that was really uh, kind of funny was uh, a flashback to uh, candid camera. Some of y'all remember this was for probably the first reality show of human history. Candid camera, where they were playing pranks on people and they didn't know it. They had a hidden camera. And there was this scene where, where uh, th th there were these four people getting onto an elevator and they're playing this prank and they all faced backwards in the elevator. And it was amazing to watch the people in the elevator, the person in the elevator, you know, you're supposed to be facing this way, like here the doors, and the other people are facing that way. And there was one person who wasn't in on the prank and slowly just kind of went like this and then. And then he kind of did this, and then he, 
And pretty soon he was like, <laughs> and then everybody on cue kind of turns around again. He just kind of turns back around. You see, the environment that we set does shape us. We are influenced by each other. We need to set that environment. So what does that look like? First of all, let's talk about the church. You need to have an FPC radar. I'm not saying that you have to strive to, you know, lasso the moon like having lunch with every person, okay? Lasso the moon. Lasso the moon. Go for it. Um, But what I'm saying is that kind of heart that wants to reach out to other people, that, 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 that understands that how you're experiencing this place. One of the most amazing things I have learned about welcome here. Let me, let me first just pause and say that. I have learned about welcome here. This is, a truly, this is truly a place of welcome, a real place of welcome, not just a friendly place. Uh, I hate it when people say that they're a friendly whatever. This is a place of friends. This is a place of, of genuine welcome. I've learned about that here. Have a radar for the people who are on the margins. Have a radar. You know, Stephanie said it beautifully this morning. I mean, how much her, 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 her bucket, you know, of energy and time, how much that is filled by pouring out. Have a radar for people on the margins. Whether it's students, you know, a lot of times, you know, you think, uh, students, what are they doing? What are they into? There are people that are talking about what student culture is dealing with today and how it's different. And Students are on their radar. There are all these people last night, there are 70 students, and there are people there who just love kids. We loved you so much that we endeavored to share the gospel of God, but our lives as well. We're going to share with you our Saturday night, and we're going to think about you, and we're going we're to imagine what it's like to be your age again and with the different unique pressures. See, that's what it takes to create an environment. Second, second practical thing. So find a place. That's what next week is all about. Find a place where you can, you can have a radar that's up and you can start to see those dots on the, on the margins and say, let's see how we can pull those people in to be an, ish, an initiator. But second is this, in your homes, to have the nerve. I'm speaking to parents now. I know how difficult this is. You know, there was a generation that came back from the war, and, and they didn't speak about it, and they kind of got to work, and there was this sense of, of um, disconnect between generations, and there was just this, this strong hand, and so there was a, an overreaction. I've read about this time and time again where the, the boomers have kind of overreacted, and they said, you know what, I'm going to be my kid's friend, right? I'm going to be a friend to my child. I'm not going to be like this, this disconnected uh, person who's present but not really. And so that's an overcorrection. And so I watched this as a youth pastor, you know, 20, 15, 20 years ago. I watched parents trying to be the friend to their child. It's not that you're not supposed to be a friend to your child. It's not, it's not the presence of friendship that, that wrecks parenting. It's the absence of compassionate authority. You still have to set that standard. And so to say, you know what, they're all going to do it, so they might as well do it in a safe way under my home. That is to abdicate leadership. And it's to make it very difficult for all the other parents around you who are your peers, who are counting on you to set the same standard, to hold kids to, to, to standards that are at least the legal standard. And so to be in the position, to have influence, to have power, it's to be able to have this incredible tension of storge 
between holding to a standard but having powerful, serving affection. How do you say you're welcome? Let's pray together. Holy God, we thank you that the greatest picture of welcome is the picture we saw at the beginning of the worship service, that picture of Jesus on the cross who didn't consider equality with God as something to be grasped or meted out, but he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. With arms open wide, Jesus said, you are welcome with me. Lord, may we be that kind of church. May we have those kinds of homes. May we lead those kinds of businesses, classrooms. In Jesus' name.